You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Ezra, God be praised for your baptism today because Jesus in it takes a hold of you and says, I am your Savior. Your sins are forgiven. Your death is overcome. The devil who troubles you is all tied up. I've got you, he says. To Ezra, to you, and to all of us, the baptized, I've got you. And I will keep you through this life, even through death, until I bring you at last to the joys of the resurrection. So for you, Ezra, this baptism today is the fountain from which all of your joy will flow, for you and for all of us. Do you see that in in our baptism, the Lord makes His claim that He is the Savior, that He is your Savior. And if Jesus is is our Savior, we would consider, I think, this morning to do well by asking why it is that we need saving. And really, I think there's two reasons, two things that stand between us and eternal life that we want to think about. The first is this, our sin. We break God's commandments. And all of our sins cry out before His face like a stench asking for our judgment and condemnation. We are guilty. And this guilt is an offense to the holiness and the righteousness of God. Now, thanks be to God that Jesus has borne our sins and carried our sorrows, that they were heaped upon Him in His death on the cross. And He suffered not only our sins, but also the punishment for our sins in our place, so that now no sin can threaten or alarm us. Christ died. He is the Savior from sin. His blood cleanses us of all unrighteousness. But there is another thing that stands between us and eternal life. And it's what Jesus is getting after in the parable that He puts before us today. And it is this. Our pride, our trust in our own good works, or our our relying on our own goodness. If we put on the one side the danger of our sin, then we have to put on the other side the danger of our good works. And that's precisely what Jesus is getting after when He says, two men go into the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee, a man of good works, The one who goes right up to the front and stands there by himself and thanks God for his righteousness, for his sinlessness, for his generosity. He looks down at everyone else, including the tax collector, sitting there in the back. He probably despises not only him, but all people. But there standing in the back of the temple is this tax collector who is too humiliated even to lift up his eyes, but with a heart full of sorrow for his sin, he prays simply, Lord, Have mercy on me, the sinner. And it's this man, says Jesus, the second one, the tax collector, who goes home justified. Now we see the danger. The Pharisee is proud of himself. He's confident in his own good works. He's made himself into his own Savior. He stands before the throne of God and he pleads innocence. So he's justified himself. 
And as soon as we justify ourselves, we're saying to God, I don't need your help. I don't need your justification, which is the same thing as saying to him, I don't need your Savior. I don't need Jesus. Let's think of it this way. And we've had this picture before, so please excuse the repetition. But I don't know a better way to say it. And also, maybe you guys don't remember everything I've always ever preached, so you might not remember Whenever a person goes to court and appears before the judge, the first question that they're asked is this, how do you plea? Now, the same thing is true with God. The fundamental question for each one of us to consider is, as we think of standing before God on the day of judgment, how do we plea? What do we claim? Are we innocent or are, are we guilty? Or we, are we righteous or are we unrighteous? Do you see, this is the second danger that we're talking about. We're tempted, all of us are tempted, to claim innocence before God. Or at least to grasp onto the good things that we've done and to hold them up, to present them as evidence in God's court for our salvation. To, to, offset, to offset our sin with our obedience to offer up to God our own righteousness or whatever, and to stand there like the Pharisee, claiming our rightful place before the face of God. Now, you know this. When you ask someone if they they should be in heaven when they die, the answer you always get is this. Sure, sure, I should go to heaven because I'm a good person. I've done a lot of good. I help people all the time and so forth. But you hear in this answer the echo of the Pharisee standing there in the temple offering up his own righteous deeds to God. And this danger is not only for those outside of the church. In fact, I think it's a danger chiefly for we who call ourselves Christians. In fact, I think when people identify hypocrisy in the church, they actually are not sensing hypocrisy, but something else, and this is probably what it is, that they are sensing that the Christian is, is claiming a righteousness of, them, of their own, that we as Christians are claiming a goodness through our own works or our own, our own obedience, that we are laying claim to a holiness which exalts us above other people. Now, I think that claim for hypocrisy also can come from a bad conscience, but that's for Another time, maybe we'll talk about that in Bible class, but this is true, that when we preach to the world, which we sometimes have to do, that you guys are sinners, the next sentence is not, but we're not sinners, but rather, but we also are sinners. Because if we, dear saints, come into the courtroom of God, and we answer the question, how do you plea, with a claim of our own goodness, or our own righteousness, or perfection, if we say that we have enough good works to make ourselves pleasing to God, or enough good efforts, or whatever, then we are saying, we are claiming that we are our own Savior, and that our own works and our own efforts are the only evidence that we need before God's judgment. And when we do that, look what happens. If you can imagine it, to walk into the court and you're asked, how do you plea? And you say, innocent. Jesus and Moses now move over to the side and become your prosecutors. And the law of God is preached in its fullness. And all of your sins are brought before the throne of God as evidence against you. And God will stand as judge who will speak the perfect and the horrible verdict. No one is righteous. No, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. 
Because you see, the, stand, the, the claims of our own righteousness not only do not stand up in the court of God's justice, but in fact, they themselves are an offense to God. Because when we say that we're going to defend ourselves, that we're going to save ourselves, then we're saying that we don't need Jesus and that His suffering and His blood are useless. So, do not claim a righteousness of your own. Remember the tax collector. He comes to stand before the throne of God not claiming his own works or deeds or his own goodness or his own righteousness. He comes and stands before the throne of God and he pleads guilty. He calls himself a sinner. In fact, in the text, in the Greek, it says he calls himself the sinner. Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. And he asks not for what he thinks he's deserved because of all of his efforts, but rather he begs for mercy, begs, in fact, for propitiation, for sacrifice, for blood to cover his sins. And it's true for us. When we stand before God and plead guilty, when we confess our sins, which is the first thing we do when we come in here on Sunday, I, a poor, miserable sinner, then then the court shapes up much differently. In fact, the courtroom shapes up just like Jesus wants it to. Now imagine how it was when you claimed innocence and then Jesus left you and He went to stand against you with Moses to bring accusation against you. Something different happens when you come before God and plead guilt. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Instead of Moses and Jesus standing over there against you, Moses is in fact dismissed from the court and Jesus comes and stands by your side. The devil might come in there and try to fight against you, but Jesus now takes and puts before the court this evidence. His blood. His suffering. His wounds. His dying. And Jesus says that all of this was done for you. And the judge, God the Father, hears the case and now He speaks the verdict. Righteous. Justified. Not guilty. And the angels rejoice. (laughs) And this one goes home justified. Now, a word of clarity about this doctrine of justification, and this, I hope, will cause you to praise and thank God even more for this gift. Because justification is, is more than what we normally think of it, and that is just taking something away. Justification also puts something in its place. We normally think of justification uh, in terms of the forgiveness of sins. As if, imagine it like this. Imagine that there's a a blackboard or a chalkboard or a huge uh, billboard that has all your sins on it, right? And we normally think of justification as painting over that or erasing it or taking it all away. But all the wrong things that we've done or said or thought, that they've been washed away, and all the good things that we should have done but didn't, these are all forgotten and cast into the sea and removed as far as the east is from the west. And this is true. This is part of justification. But then something more happens. Not only are all the sins that you've done taken away, but the Lord's declaring you righteous adds to your account all of the good works that Jesus Himself has done. His righteousness is accounted 
to you. His perfection is given over to your name. The text we have is the most beautiful is this text at the end of 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul writes, For our sake God the Father made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see, dear saints, that the righteousness that is imputed to you in this courtroom of God is not the righteousness of Moses or Abraham or Daniel. It's not the righteousness of Adam and Eve before the fall into sin even. It is the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of God. The perfection of that God Himself alone has. So that you are considered by God the Judge to be as holy and as perfect and as innocent and as righteous as your Lord Jesus Christ is. You are clothed in His righteousness. You are wrapped in His perfection. And the good pleasure and the delight that the Father has for His Son, He also has for you. For you. This is true for you too, Ezra. (laughs) He delights in you. So we rejoice. There are, remember, two things that stand between you and eternal life. There's your sin and there's your self-righteousness. But Jesus has overcome them both. And though we stand before Him as guilty, He declares us holy. He forgives you all of your sins. He gives you the gift and treasure of His righteousness. And you, dear saints, with your brother, the tax collector, you go home justified. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.